0: that sort of... Market. What? When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other
1: clubs. Claps, claps, claps. Les différents podcasts de frappe. Arsenal have been through their mile and a half of pipe like Andy Dufresne in the short redemption where you have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. El podcast de golpe diferente. But Arsenal are going through their pipe, like I say. We'll be back. The different knock podcast. Alex, a good surprise Alex, Marty,
0: Welcome back to the Robert Holding Lord and Saviour podcast. A light-hearted look at Arsenal with Alexander Moneypenny and my very good
1: friend, Bradley Adams. Hello, mate. We're back. We are. It's been a while. It has. This is
0: weird. Yes. We're just back and forth with the whole episode. Yeah. (laughs) So, Brad. So, Alex. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, Arsenal have not been playing. We've not been podcasting, but Arsenal are back. Arsenal have won a game, and the
1: stress returned. Oh my god, uh, my my fucking arsehole hasn't even done puckering yet. I was shitting myself throughout that match. It
0: was it was a very very stress. I sort of forgot how stressful it was to watch Arsenal. It was a extremely stressful match. We. Yeah. I won't say we do this to ourselves because it's starting to feel like there might be powers outside of our control. Did you see uh, Arteta's post-match where he said something like, I've done everything I can now. I have run out of ideas of, of what we can do with the with the discipline issue. Yeah. Which to me feels like a sort of
1: thinly veiled, like, don't think it's us. <laughs> I don't don't think it is. I don't think it is anymore. You can look at some of the decisions made by some players and call them reckless and stupid. Like Granite Xhaka's yellow card, for example, is a yellow card. He has a thing about he can't let a challenge go if he loses it. He just can't do it. And he has the worst tackling technique I think I've ever seen on a Premier League footballer. And it leads him into situations like that where he gets carded and gets carded for the right reasons. But Thomas Partey was carded for his first foul. We'll we'll get on to the Gabrielle Martinelli incident. But I just, it's starting to get to a point where I am, one, I don't think any of us are, 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 are surprised anymore, but... The fact that I can look at this situation and go, it is no surprise that when the person running the PGMOL is the person that ruined the Invincible's unbeaten streak with one of the worst refereeing performances known to man. And and I'm just going to say it, that one of the most corrupt refereeing performances I've ever seen. It is no surprise that this is still the situation. There has been no change in quality as the football has got better. And as, we, and, as, and as everything has progressed as a sport, the refereeing has stayed the same as it's been since 2006. It's just terrible. It's awful. In what other unbelievably major sport in the world that grosses this much money is this level of incompetence allowed? It baffles me. It really does. Welcome back to the Different Not Podcast. Hope you're well. Uh,
0: we are recording the morning after. The yeah, night before uh, the night before. Um, yeah. Having had some time to reflect, um, I'm not really someone for conspiracy theories. But something someone DM'd me to say was. Basically, it's getting to a point now where if you did believe in a conspiracy theory, you're getting a lot of evidence to kind of Mm -hmm. help you out with your case. Um, I I quite enjoy the fact that Arteta doesn't really engage with any of the sort of refereeing stuff. I've I've never really you know, the sort of Mourinho-esque sort of being quite combative with the referees or even quite a lot of managers, to be honest. You know, I think quite a lot of managers directly call out, you know, Klopp does it on the pitch, you know, calling out the referees. I sort of enjoy that Arteta doesn't really do that because I think in the end, you don't win. You just create en- enemies and ultimately it's a structural issue. But that structural issue is the same one that uh, as you outline, And, you know, we can copy-paste <laughs> our referee rants from the manchester city game or the wolves game last season it's the same structural issue you know like sometimes when you have a good rant about something in your own life and then you wake up the next day and you're like oh that problem's still there <laughs> do you know what i mean like yeah. the rant didn't make it go away maybe feel better in the moment and these games are just they're they're examples of systemic issues and look we are not gonna fix the pgmol on the different not podcast but what i can say is if you, we have to, there has to be some kind of structural change because we're going to talk about the individual incident, but the standard of refereeing, as you say, is
1: just, is woeful. I think, I think the best way to also look at this situation is Burnley haven't had a red card in three years. You know how they play. I know how they play. Everyone knows, who's a Premier League fan, how Burnley play and how they have skirted getting a red card for three years. And Arsenal have had 11 red cards in the just over two year period that Mikel Arteta has been in charge.
0: I think it's more. I think it's more. I think it's like 16 or
1: something. That, That might be in all competitions. That tells you all that you need to know. About what's going on, the fact that Burnley have managed to not get a red card in three years, yeah, because and we've had eleven or sixteen or whatever it is in just over two, tells you one of two things, uh, and you can believe whatever you want. One that the conspiracy is true. It's a conspiracy, which if you want I'm, to believe. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not inclined to believe. Because I think it's just much more likely that the, the the second option is true and that a lot of it is done off of perceived opinion of the club. Burnley yeah. are perceived as a physical football club who play physical football, so they get away with more. Arsenal are perceived as playing kind of ticker a tippy tappy passing pass-in-the-ball football, so our challenges to referees look worse or something. And kind of adjacent to that, the people doing that job are not good at that job. I think we've said this before about lots of different situations. When the one common denominator is you, and in this case, the referees, it gets to a point where you have to be introspective and think, well, am I the problem? Am I the one that's caused this issue? We said that about Aubameyang. Hmm. It's now gone past the point where we've seen ridiculous decisions against Man United, against every single Premier League club against every Premier League club.
0: Mm. And it's the the lack of communication as well. I think in the Bundesliga, the refs do interviews. Um, You know, like, why...
1: I don't, I don't, we don't need that. The thing is, is we're only calling for the refs to do interviews because they're so bad at their jobs. We want them to try and justify those decisions. We've got Peter Walton on on BBC, BBC Sport chatting absolute bollocks about the incident. After, after it, the interviews don't change anything, but all, it, all that that would do is highlight, just as in these Peter Walton interviews on Soccer AM or BBC Sport have done, is highlight the incompetence of these people. There's a video of, of Peter Walton explaining that if if it's a natural reaction and your arms are in a natural position, it's not a handball. And throws the ball at Peter Crouch and Crouch catches it. And so And Crouch goes like, oh, like this. And he goes, yeah, that's not a handball. He literally catches the ball. Like the, it's the, it, these people do not know what they're doing. They are the, and and you see that from the unbelievably obvious, unbelievably obvious, f- uh, flouting of of set rules. Hmm. Well, I
0: I think there's there's so so many components to why refereeing is the way it is, and I think it's you know it's. It's, you could go to salary of referees, you could go to lack of communication, you could go to perception of clubs, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. I think that my main issue and something that came up for me yesterday is what is the purpose of refereeing? And to me, I landed on a phrase, which is facilitation of the game. You're you're a facilitator of the game. You're stopping dangerous foul play. You're stop you and you're uh you're ensuring that you know sort of order is maintained. You're ensuring that the kind of structure of the game is is there, and you try and keep fairness on both sides. And you try and sort of just manage the game. That's what it's for. But ultimately, the game is there to be enjoyed. The game isn't about the refereeing. And the question is, I would ask Michael Oliver. Do you believe that sending off Gabriel Martinelli was the best thing for the football game in that incident? Do you think he needed to be off the pitch? He was so dangerous that he should no longer be on the pitch. Do you really believe that? Because we can look at the rules and, you know, there's different interpretations of that rule that's sort of floating around Twitter and et cetera, et cetera. But to me, the more important part is that, like I I look after two kids It's one of my um, sort of side jobs and they have certain set rules. They have, you know, you can't eat sweets part you know before dinner, all sorts of stuff, right? So if my kid eats two sweets before dinner, do I go do I give them a double punishment for eating sweets before dinner? No, it's they've eaten sweets before dinner. They knew they shouldn't have done that. If they had two bits of Haribo rather than one bit of Haribo, I'm not going to ch- it's, it's it's you know, the, it might be a bit more. There might be a sort of a slightly more severe punishment, but it's it's the same action and the same incident. And they didn't, you know, they they didn't know they'd been caught. So, you know, in, in, in that kind of example, people act differently in that specific Martinelli thing. What pisses me off is, you know, he would have acted differently if he knew he was on a yellow card, if he knew he'd been cautioned. But the spirit of it is the most important part. Is the spirit of it? Is the is sp- is the, the refereeing in- uh, incident yesterday going to improve the product? Going to be something that keeps the product at a certain standard? No, it's not. Sending off a young player improving the that. product. You've also got to remember that Martinelli is what twenty. He's a young player. Is there not going to be any allowances for for these types of situations, especially when you know that people are saying they haven't? You no, know, they've watching football since the '60s and they've never seen that happen. So it's the spirit of it that, that pisses me off. That I'm like, you are, and it's all, it's what Arteta said, and I and I I really agree with this. You have to want to
1: give that red. You have to want to give it. Yeah, and here's the thing. Here's the thing on the interpretation of the rules as well. The one main one that I I come back to is the ball isn't in play when he makes that first red that first yellow card decision or foul or whatever if we're sticking by the rules he has to stop play and give him the yellow card then because it's a foul that's happened whilst the ball is out of play like you you can't play advantage in those scenarios as per the rules of the game that's that's the first thing and secondly a red card we don't have a sin bin in football. I'd like to see one introduced for certain things. I think that'd be an interesting concept. But a red card is the harshest punishment, the most severe punishment a player can receive. As in, you get red cards for breaking people's legs. You get red cards for going studs up in on a challenge. You get red cards for being reckless, for dangerous foul play, for serious foul play, right? It's the most severe punishment that you can receive. Are you telling me that those two challenges equate to the same level of a headbutt on a football pitch or a two-footed studs up challenge on a football pitch? Those two challenges equate to the same amount? No, they fucking don't. They they obviously don't. And this is why it's so insensing. This is why it's so annoying, because it's so obvious. It's so obvious that that shouldn't have been two yellow cards. It should have been a yellow card, one yellow card. You accept it, it's fine. But to send him off for that makes a mockery of every other time that you... It makes a mockery of the fact that Ruben Neves went in, studs up on a player in the first half and got a yellow card. That challenge, though I don't think I, it's it's on the border of... of a, it's an orange. That challenge is more dangerous than... Both of the things that Gabrielle Martinelli did never has got a yellow card. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And no matter how many times we have this conversation, nothing is going to change until the 20 clubs in the Premier League demand change from from the FA. And I really don't think we're far away from that. I really don't think we're far away from that because it's starting to have a severe impact on clubs bottom line. And, And this is all about money. If you're... I think it was Bournemouth. We've talked about this before. If you're Bournemouth that got relegated because somebody didn't turn on goal line technology, you've lost hundreds of millions of pounds already. If you're Norwich this season who get relegated off of a dodgy refereeing decision, that could, because of the way that they finance their club, irrevocably damage everything that they are trying to do. It really cannot be long before all of the 20 clubs in the Premier League and the other 92 in the Football League band together together against the pgmol to demand change because it's not good enough
0: yep arsenal had the same number of premier league red cards as downing street has had parties now under investigation by the police during Mikel Arteta's reign so there you go my word of the game is ref a fucking re um also in our word of the game battle i beat you last time with ba- with break over frustrated the break the bank won me over ba uh, ba2 am1 so we'll take that,
1: boys. Uh, my, my my word of the game, uh, which I think will segue us on to, to talking about performance, is uh, resolute, my friend. Um, obviously, I think that that counts for everything that happened after the kind of 69, 70 minute after that red card. It was an unbelievably resolute performance with some great changes by the gaffer. Um, the gaffer. <laughs> but yeah, before that, it was, I mean... Both of us weren't watching the game. Both of us had to catch up because of work. It was a it was a touchy start and a nervy start, and I think that that's more to do with my nerves than it was to do with anything. Mm. But one thing that I texted you, and it'd be good to have your opinion on, I guess, is it looks like we actually have good footballers. Like, <laughs> I now actually look at our team and see people who are good at playing football.
0: Yeah, the, the technical level is definitely raised, a hundred percent, and and that is really encouraging considering the, where the technical level has sometimes been, the, or the technical floor of, of of our teams over the past sort of even even ten years. You know, so some of the, some of the footballers that we've had are really, truly, truly bad footballers. Now, who was our worst technical technical player on the pitch yesterday? Probably Cedric, and he's you know mid table Premier League level, I'd say. You know, he's not absolutely. League One, which we've we've had that before. And um, speaking of League One, Everton Royale, Jesus Christ, he whiffing, um, whiffingly bad football. Speaking of other right backs, um, yes, yeah, for sure. And 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 I think it kind of contributes. You know, I felt a bit of sort of tentativeness from both sides. I think these are two quite defensive sides that like to sort of feel their way into the game. Um, I felt a sort of maybe. Reluctance to impose one another, you know, against one another. It's quite a long time out. I didn't feel like there was any kind of, you know, attempt to really put each other to the sword in the first sort of opening half an hour or so. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I think what what was encouraging in that period is we we kept our shape, we kept the ball, um, we counter pressed nice and high. Um, we were doing some interesting things in midfield. Jacker was pressing forward, I think, and um, stopping Ruben Nevers. You know, there was a there was a. It wasn't a, a swashbuckling performance in any kind of uh, Daily Star way, but it was, you know, it, it was a perfectly acceptable half of football that first half. You know, and 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 I think sometimes mm. you know, what are we trying to do? You know, we're going to Wolves away. We know we're going to have to break down a low block at some point. We know we're going to have to deal with some quite good players. You know, but I think Pedes is a is a is a good player. Ruben Neves has that sort of whipped in De Bruyne ball, which we miss in our, in our team that was causing us trouble at some times. At uh, some points, Jimenez is, is a good player, can pin centre-backs really well. So, you know, we, there was definitely going to be stuff that we had to deal with and we dealt with it really well. So I, I um, you know, it, it wasn't any, we're not going to remember that half of football. We're not going to look back on our, you know, footballing life and go, oh, I remember that first half at Wolves, but it doesn't matter. You know, it, the, the the only mm. thing that matters is we we got the ball over the line. It was, uh, you know, Fairly scrappy, but but committed from Lacazette to to challenge for the ball, and the ball drops, and you know you kind of make your own knock in these situations. Um, and then we held on, and and you know I I I don't feel I don't feel shortchanged because all we need to do, especially in situations like this, Wolves away, who I think you know I think Man City couldn't get couldn't get a win there. Liverpool won very late on. They they've frustrated
1: teams this season. They've they've done very, very conceded well. Conceded sixteen Premier League goals before
0: yeah. last night. So what? What were we hoping for? What were we asking for? Were we hoping for a five-nil victory? Were we hoping to to be absolutely all over them? No, they're a very very compact, well-drilled team um, who can hurt you on the break, and they didn't. And we hurt them, and we held on. So I, I'm I'm really, I I think we got everything we could have we could have out of last
1: night. Agreed, and I I, I, I think that last night's performance makes it obvious the the club were obviously right and that we definitely need a centre forward. And you know, we can question the decisions in January or whatever, but I think, you know, that Lacazette chance just
0: <laughs> when you tweet about a chance you missed, that's when you that's when you know you fucked
1: it. <laughs> yeah, like that was horrendous, horrendously bad. But one thing that's good, and I think ties into being resolute, is in games previously, and I've seen a lot of people tweet this, I've tweeted it, when you miss chances like that, because it's Arsenal, you know, you feel like you know it's going to come back and bite you on the ass. There's going to be an equaliser, an 89th minute screamer or whatever. But the end of that performance showed how resolute we can be, how together we can be, and how in those moments we can grind out those 1-0 victories, those 2-0 victories, those 2-1 victories, because that's what makes a title-winning side, you know? Is that real? Manchester Manchester City. No, no, definitely not. (laughs) Manchester City don't win every game 3 or 4-0. Sometimes they, they they scrap out a, a one nil against the low block from a, an unbelievable de Bruyne de Bruyne chance. You know, I, I think about that Vincent Company goal against Leicester that basically won them the league over Liverpool, and it took that moment of brilliance. You're not always going to be able to do everything that you want to do, but the fact that we're now seeing a team be able to grind out those victories and and really important ones as well in terms of the league table, because they're now. We're on the same games as them, but we're on, they're only five points behind us. Mm. We're on 39 and they are on, no, we're on, yeah, we're on 39. They are on 34. So if that result flips and they win 1-0, the the league table completely changes. And now we've got two games in hand, I believe. Yep. Two games in hand over fourth, who are only one point ahead of us, where uh, we're, in the driver's seat for what seems to be this top four four chase with a lot of our really difficult games played and with all that pressure and all that momentum to grind out this result for me it was so important and it it really feels like it's it's something that will help gather momentum to take into the next game and the next game
0: yeah yeah it's it's interesting that kind of grinding out results thing, because I think it, it is a quality of of teams who who get themselves up there. I think what it is in kind of actuality is a kind of plethora of options of winning games or different ways of getting through teams. You know, Man City, they can go over you, they can go around you, they can go through you, they can get you on a free kick, they can get you on a corner, they can get you from a long shot, they can get you... There are so many different ways in. They have that De Bruyne pass, Liverpool have that sort of special right hand side, they have that ball over the top to Jota. You know, you you watch teams and you you can see their different ways of getting through you. I think we we lack a few of those. I think we lack someone with a long shot, for example, or who's someone who can get you know, have a shot from outside the box and and, and you know, earn you a couple of points a season. I think we probably miss someone who, you know, Erdegaard's certainly getting there, but I think we probably miss someone who's a bit more efficient on the free kicks. We're looking really good on the corners. We probably lack someone from the sort of left half space and maybe even right whipping the balls in although Erdegaard's there. It's just a different angle to the sort of De Bruyne and the one we saw from Neves last night. I think we're getting there in terms of the options. Um, so it's good that one of it worked out. And, you know, if we take away our corners, so credit to Nikola, Nikola Jova, if we take away our corners this season, I don't know where we'd be in the league. So, you know, and, 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 but I I have no complaints. I do not care how it goes in. You know, that is the mark of a good team that you doesn't matter how it goes in. In the end, you have hundreds of different ways to, to, to get a result. And that is, it's a results-based business. So who sort of, who cares? Um, And I, 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 I agree about, you know, the deficiencies in the team. It's clear to see that, but I think, I'm hoping we have enough, as you say, to 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 get us into the top four and it's nice to be in the driver's seat and it's, I think that will change a lot. I think we'll, we'll look, we'll probably be having a number of podcasts before the end of the season going, well, if only we can do this and this and then they, they need mm. to drop points and there'll be a lot of that kind of chat. I think, I don't think it's going to be a sort of smooth sailing. I think we'll, we'll be, you know, out of the driver's seat, in, in it, back out of it, back in it again. But, it's good to know that we we can beat those t- types of teams the west ham's you know we've we've beaten spurs this season um we've beaten wolves you know and and
1: and that will only give us confidence yeah and if you look at the games the the kind of more difficult games that we've got to play there they're kind of few and far between you know for the rest of the season we've got to play uh, the north london derby again away we've got to play chelsea away liverpool at home united at home i think united at home and then there's a Leicester at home, but with the form that they're in, I'm not particularly worried. There's a Villa away that could be, could be one of those results where we drop points. But there's a lot, there's there's West Ham away, but again, I'm not particularly worried, which that's definitely going to come back to bite me on the arse. <laughs> um, but it, it's, the outlook looks positive. And here's the thing. If we get top four, after jettisoning Aubameyang and getting those wages gone and, you know, knowing that Lacazette and Nketiah will be gone in the summer, that is a massive achievement to be applauded. You know, if we'd have got top four with the squad that we had at the beginning of the season, that would have been unbelievable, let alone that the squad that we've left ourselves with post January and that's a gamble and it's a gamble that hopefully will pay off. But if it does pay off, it's it's an absolute roll of the dice and they've done really, really well. And it sets us up so well to move into the next transfer window, to move into the next rebuild, because it just unlocks that next level of of potential candidate for us. If if you think if we if we look like we're in the driver's seat for Champions League football or we're guaranteed Champions League football next season. Certain deals that haven't happened previously might happen, and we end up in a much better situation because of it.
0: Yeah, we might be able to get blavic You know, it, 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 it's it would be a big help. You know, I, I I still maintain that it would be ahead of where I think we should should be. Made. I don't. Well, should be implies that there's a sort of specific path that is laid out. I, I think you know where we are in our process. I still think you know we're probably and where our, what what our squad is looking like I still think you know comparatively and yeah. within our own sort of um process we're 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 probably not quite there yet but but if we get there I will have no complaints at all. I think in, interestingly as well what you say about the sort of the streamlining of the squad because I I don't it, you know I don't know whether that's unrelated to the performance we saw last night. Because that was a team that are together. That was a team that, you know, Rob mm-hmm. Holding comes on last night. And and let's let's highlight Rob Holding for a second. Rob let's Holding, do it, mate. Nine clearances, three more than anyone else in 19 minutes. Three out of three of us Jules won. One interception, one shot blocked. He comes on. He's the ultimate backs-to-the-wall defender. Like, I can't think of anyone else I'd want in that low block last night. It's unbelievable. He comes on. He knows his role. He He's ready. He's prepared. He's committed. And he's... He he does a job for us, and he potentially saves us two points, or maybe even three. Now, in my opinion, that could possibly be related to having a streamlined squad because you know Arteta has talked about having a tight knit group of people who are willing to fight for each other, work for each other, all have very prominent roles, or, or or you know maybe not be starting every time, but certainly know their role when they come on. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we're looking at the Smith rows the 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 Rob Holdings, even the Inkettiers you know, I appreciate that there were the three to come on last night, but other people as well to know their role within this squad and within this team to get us through that, those final seventeen games. And I think, you know, potentially having that streamline makes it easier to manage this group, makes it more resolute, as you know, to to use your word of the game. To kind of, you don't get many fractions in in a in a, a tight knit squad. You don't get people sort of potentially you know causing any kind of friction or upset and as much as a club at the time will say no 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 there's no problem in our in our um in our team you know I was watching uh, the overlap with Declan Rice yesterday and he talked about you know egos and fractions within the West Ham team a couple of years later you know so okay, sorry a couple of years before you know eventually you hear about these things and you 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 know hmm. i think i think a small squad is only going to promote a sense of unity and togetherness. So maybe it's related to what we saw last
1: night. Because there's also not a lot of people missing out on a lot of football. Yeah. It's a bit like, it's a bit like football manager. If you sign too many players, you're going to have too many players knocking on your door saying, why aren't I starting games? Yeah. Now, you know, we're, we're a COVID outbreak away from disaster. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, but um, if this does come off, hats off to them because they've rolled the dice and, and they've come out on top and Christ almighty. You think if we get into the Champions League this season, the fight, even just if you kind of discredit the the level of candidate that we'd be able to bring in, the financial implications on the club after removing that much from their wage bill in the in January is is unbelievable because the way that FFP works, the wages, whilst you, there's no guarantee that that money will be spent on the squad or on the running of the club or whatever, but the wages that the club are currently saving in regards to FFP will only mean that we can spend more money in the summer. So if, if we get champions league football and we've spent all this time spent saving all those wages, like it, it unlocks an, a new level of spending that we are able to kind of go to. And it's, it's. I mean, it's exciting. Whether that will happen is, a, is another thing. War, war chest will coming. be coming out.
0: <laughs> John Cross, Freaking here hell. he is. Arteta handed a war chest. Um, yeah, no, it is very exciting. Uh, also, to take a break from the War serious analysis, it was just good to have the boys back, wasn't it? Like, it was just good to oh. be watching a
1: game. The, I, I have one gripe. One gripe. Oh, here we go. What What is that shit tattoo on Ben White's chest? Why has he got a lion on his chest? Because he's a lion, mate. Why are you judging? What does it say about
0: you? What oh, inside it's... you is judging Ben White? Is it the voice inside your head judging yourself, Brad? Is that what it is? Maybe.
1: Or just the fact that I think he's a bit tasteless, but...
0: Well, taste is subjective. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> Yeah, shit, I agree. Um, I tell you what, as well.
1: It's because he's, he's got some nice ones. He's, I, I looked at that photo. It looks very good with his top off. And he's got some yeah. nice tattoos. And I, and I was looking at that and I was going, you've got so many nice tattoos. Why the fuck have you got a lion's face on your chest? When were you looking at the photo? Sort of 2 a.m. in bed? Yeah, in bed.
0: Ruining my life. Just on, just with the boxes on. <laughs> A small erection. No. Uh, tell you what? No, a large one, Alex. Let's be honest. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I've got a big cock, guys. Um, tell you what? <laughs> Cedric. <laughs> Speaking of big cocks. Cedric. Um, <laughs> this is d- quickly devolved. We had about 20 decayed, minutes. To, decayed. Decayed mad not Quite serious madness, yeah. analysis. And now we're talking about cocks. Um, it's the worst word as well. Cock. It's such a horrible word. Sorry, everyone. Sorry. This is smutty, isn't it? Um Cedric, back to Cedric. I do think, and I've said this before on the podcast, hot take. I don't think Tierney is Arteta's long-term left back. And this is because I think Arteta really values two-footed fullbacks. He has only signed two-footed, or people who are at least have another foot uh fullbacks. Cedric, Tomiyasu, Tavares. And I think... I mean, C- Cedric is shit on both feet most of the time. But, <laughs> but he does at, ha- least at least it's consistent. he have a left foot. Like, do, you remember he, do you remember when he pinged that ball out to... I think it was Saka. Who, and then he... and then, I can't remember what game it was. It was a game but last season. Didn't he play
1: some time at left back last season? Or I yeah, no, no, he did.
0: Up? He did. But there was a pre-assist yeah. in uh, maybe one of those games, maybe that run of games, where he, he did a pre-assist where he... Knocked the ball over to Saka, and there was a, and it ended up in the back of the net with from Lacazette. I can't remember what goal it was, but it was an unbelievable pre-assist on his left foot. Anyway, um, I think what he does is facilitate the rotations of Saka and Odegaard. and I think one of the biggest things that uh, that well, Tomiyasu has bought is the ability to kind of underlap, overlap. Be a sort of wall pass for Saka and Odegaard. Allow them to. Because Odegaard pops up on the right wing, Odegaard pops up in the sort of right midfielder spot. Odegaard pops up in the half space. Odegaard pops up in the sort of right central midfield role. He he sort of goes everywhere, and Cedric having two feet allows allows that to happen, allows that to be facilitated, and allows different angles to 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 sort of be to be created, and then leaves Saka one on one creates a lot of situations where Saka can be one-on-one. And there was a few times yesterday, well, I think there was one where Saka absolutely rinsed the Wolves player. I can't remember. It was it Marcel, absolutely rinsed him mm. a couple of times and got a ball into Lacazette and Lacazette hits the keeper, obviously. Um, but I do, I'm not, I'm not claiming Cedric sort of masterminded, you know, Saka's brilliance, but what I think he does do is he having his two feet facilitates, that sort of interplay and combinations and the triangles forming on that side. And that's why I think Chambers went. That's why I think Maitland-Niles went. I think because he wants someone who can create those angles on that side. And like, I, you know, I, I think Cedric gets a lot of hate.
1: I don't, I don't, I think he's, he's smart. He's he is a terrible footballer. He's at, not that bad. I, how many times have we seen him live and it's not, it's not been good. No, I'm not. This, uh, look, let's not, not let a half-decent performance colour the full opinion of how just dogged he's been this season. Look, he's limited. He is limited. But it's... <laughs> That's a polite word for it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, late last night I might use a different word. Um, but I, I, look, he, yeah, he's limited. But I do think he does allow what Arteta wants from his right back to mm. happen. That's what that's what I'm trying to say like i think I think he his specific set of skills i have a particular set of skills, his specific set of skills do allow something to do allow our two very very talented young players on that side to to hmm. do what they normally would do, whereas with for example like Callum Chambers, I don't think Chambers has the interplay in those sort of specific areas it's it's like it's a little bit like Xhaka. like i I have a question for the podcast and for the listeners uh, okay. Is there a more limited player than Granite Xhaka? Now that limited note is not bad. I don't mean bad. I mean limited at what he can do. And I think Cedric and Jacker, when you put them in the right situation, I think Cedric combining in the sort of sort of over the halfway line is fine. I don't trust him one on one. I don't trust him in the duels. I don't trust. You know, I can I could r- r- rattle you off all the things I don't trust him in. But what Arteta wants predominantly from his right back, I think, is to combine with those those two players going forward. Mm-hmm. With Granit Xhaka, I think he is Premier League top four standard at what are some of the things that he does. At his, some of his positioning between the lines is really good. Some of his, his ball retention is really good. He's strong. Some of those threaded balls are really nice. But get him on the wrong angle... Get him on the. It's like he's like a spinning top.
1: Like when you get him spinning, he can't read the ball. He can't as in he can't read the flight of a ball. No, no. I can't uh, tell uh, you the amount of times I've watched the man jump into the air to head a ball and just be completely off time with it. Oh, Brad, he is a limited. Uh, this is what I'm saying.
0: I think what what he can do, he is. I think I think good Premier League standard at and 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 a, and a really good Premier League standard at. But what he can't do, I think those two players
1: is anything stick,
0: else <laughs> me. no, no, but yeah, but like I, I just I can't think of another player who's so really quite high quality at certain things and really so bad in other positions like he he popped up. Uh, I think in like the left back spot on his right foot, and on, he looked like he'd never touched the football before because he had to use his right foot. He had it was, it was he didn't have that he didn't have his back. Uh, he had his back to the game. We couldn't see what was going on in front of him, and he was just completely fish out of water. Um, and look, we know these players have limitations, but I did I did wonder like are, are, I can't think of another player who is so it's like if you had like attribute bars you have like or like so one dimensional one pure one di- one d um, which holds us back but but it, i think we have quite a few of those players in our team and lacazette is another like lacazette defensively before he runs out of puff really good good in the jewels but he just can't.
1: He can't get beyond, and we know that. And what is kind but of he also exciting just doesn't is- run. There was counter attacks when he was walking up the pitch at like thirty minutes. Yeah. Surely you're not out of breath by then. What's gone? What's gone on? One, one, one thing is quite exciting
0: is we know these players are on their way out, and I think the different dimensions mm-hmm. that other more uh, rounded players will give us is very exciting. Uh, better footballers. <laughs> Well give us that's another way of saying it. Um <laughs> praise be to Martinelli. Amazing work on about twelve minutes to not give it up, and then he gives it to Lacazette like and immediately gives it away. On about fifteen minutes, he runs unaccompanied, beating four or five men, has no one with him, tries to pass. It's could really sm- No one's there. It's kind of symbolic of of, of what I was just talking about with Lacazette. Like, like it's it's you know, he, he but he was he was doing really good work. I thought the centre backs performed really well yesterday. I thought both White and Gabriel um, had really good games. They weren't getting bullied. Um, There was a point in the game where in about a two-minute period, White nicks it off someone's foot. Really, You know that clip of Virgil against um, Southampton where he just sort of strolls over and flicks it off someone's foot? There was a sort of similar moment with Ben White. Um, And Gabriel really strong up against Jimenez, who's one of the strongest players in the league and really top top players you know and and we've got to remember the age of these guys they are only getting better better and better and i'm feeling more and more confident with them both like gabriel man like he's he's really he's a monster he's
1: really underrated yeah he's a bit rash with some challenges but he is a monster also wait can we just discuss why are we getting yellow cards on 60 minutes for time wasting Burnley spent ninety minutes of a football match time wasting against us.
0: There is sort of Mike, what Michael Oliver. <laughs> it's a clip of Jamie Carragher where he 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 says to Gary never goes. I bet he was the milk monitor at school, and I was like, that is that is Michael Oliver. That is Michael Oliver. Um, yeah I agree uh, the goal I mean there's nothing much to say on the goal really it was it was a great ball in from Martinelli it was a good jaw from Lacazette and good instincts from Gabriel. I mean poor defending from Wolves there's you know it was it wasn't pretty spectacular it was there was a question over the offside or you know the VAR so it wasn't really even one you could particularly celebrate you know you're sure it went in it was just like oh oh great oh right <laughs> oh it's a goal it's a goal cool uh, great and to be honest even if it was a bullshit goal we deserve a bullshit goal against these after that oh, da- yeah. after that david Luiz incident <sighs> we're also now brad the only team who haven't conceded a corner in the premier league ah oh.
1: sensational
0: uh it's also our first goal since new year's day seven and a half hours of playtime with no goal. That, that is concerning. Um, especially considering our goal yesterday was scored by our center back and our striker never looked. Yeah,
1: it is and it isn't in that. if I was thinking about this, like if you look at the, the games that we played, we played city, which was the last game where we scored and without a horrendous refereeing performance possibly could have won the game. Wait, oh, my iPad is just having a fit. Then we, God, God knows what happened during that Forest game. And then two Liverpool games and then the Burnley game. You know, the Liverpool, Liverpool and Liverpool, whether they were at full strength or not, like they're still Liverpool. I still think we should have done better, but you can't really, they still had Virgil. And, and Mattip at the back, and Allison in goal. For you know, you still can't. You're never guaranteed anything against that. Mm. The one game that you think that that, that should have ended, ended the run is is Burnley, and that we have that perfect Lacazette opportunity. It's an open goal, and he, and he sticks it wide. And in the same in the same sense that he he stuck that unbelievable opportunity yesterday wide. We know that that's what we're going to get from Lacazette and that's exactly why people didn't want Aubameyang to go out on a free. And if he was going to go out on a free, we needed to get someone in because we know that Lacazette, unfortunately, is not reliable or consistent enough to score goals. That's just something that we are going to have to accept moving forward and hope that the club finds different ways to put the ball in the net.
0: Yeah, and I think that, you know, there's a certain amount that can come from the wide areas. I think Martinelli has like a 0.49 non-penalty XG or something like that. Like, you know, there will be goals from other areas and those players will improve, but they're still young. You know, they're still, we can't, we can't be expecting Martinelli to be hitting Mane numbers. We can't expect Saka to be hitting Salah numbers. You know, like we, we, they are still young players Mm. who are developing and very, very good and talented young players, but we can't, we can't expect that kind of output. So goals do worry me um i just don't see yeah. where they come from especially when we don't have someone in the midfield who's particularly adept like we're going to need someone like a like an Erdegaard, like a like a pepe to come on and score you know 3 and 5 or 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 smith rowe to come on and do his sort of substitute heroics you know we are missing goals in this team in both the mid- midfield and the central striker zone and it's concerning because there will be games this season where we are looking for a goal about 70 to 80 minutes in we look at the bench and we see someone who can speed up the game facilitate run with the ball in smithrow we're going to see Enketia who can press nicely and you know link to a deep decent standard he's not really going to snatch you a goal unless you're you know absolutely peppering the box and he gets a you know sort of a last minute snatch and then you get Pepe, who is the most inconsistent player since Nicola Pepe. So, I
1: it is concerning. Yeah, but I mean, this is a this is the bed that we've made. We've just got to lie in it now. You know, this is the 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 decision that we chose. And you know, I still think that there was an option to bring somebody in in January, even if it was because we're going to have to bring two centre forwards in in the summer. So even if you bring in who is going to be your quote unquote different option or second choice in now, you know, i, I watched the And this is very much um, skewed by the the game is, is his debut that I watched. Um, not his debut, his second game that I watched. But, you know, Veghorst for like £13 million is yeah. a second option as a six foot six massive guy up front when we've got the ability of Erdegaard, Tierney. Tommy Asu can whip in a ball, so can Saka, you know, we have all, um, so can Martinelli, you've got Mm. all these players that can whip crosses in. Would it really have been the worst idea for 15 million quid to go and pick him up now? Especially when you see that his link play in a Burnley team was decent enough to get around Man United. Yeah. And I think he scored 20 Bundesliga goals last season and maybe 15 the season before. Yeah. Something like that should have been done in January. It really, really should have, and I, I don't understand why we weren't on it.
0: Yeah, and and football isn't played on squad lists. Do you know what I mean? Football is played in situations and game management, and 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 the des- you know, in the kind of desperation yesterday. You know, but you know when um when we were getting peppered from about sort of seventy five minutes on we had a rob hold we had a rob holding to bring on and that's great yeah. right and that's and that's you know fantastic but Gabrielle went down at one point and i thought we can't get through this season
1: with rob holding there's so many like, there's so many holes holds in our squad yes, we can't get through this season with Enketia, you know we're bringing on Enketia as our our frontline substitution our center forward substitution yeah he's he's about as threatening as as a, as a puppy in, that was a it's not he doesn't he's about threatening yeah, there was. out I don't know he's about as threatening as Nketiah for Christ's sake look at yeah, him he looks like, he looks like a him nice him. lad <laughs> like but the issue is, is that doesn't that doesn't make people people aren't going oh god they bring it on Nketiah what am I going to do bring it on six foot six oop vu- Veg horse yeah. for the last 15 minutes is going to have people shitting themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And I think, it yeah, I, I do agree, mate. And I, I think this is also just a part of our development. We do need, like I was talking about earlier, other ways of getting through teams. And we do need someone who can pin a team. I think in the end, we'll probably end up getting two strikers in the summer. Probably one who is a bit more of a pin the centre-backs, link people, you know, knock it, in, knock it into play, get it on the head type maybe even a Calvert-Lewin, and probably someone who's a bit more of a playmaker. You know, if we've got Isaac and Calvert-Lewin, I mean, that'd be unbelievable. I don't think it's going to happen. Because um, I don't think there's a centre-forward who can do everything, do you know what I mean, <clears throat> that we need. But we do 100%. We, we miss that in our team. We miss someone who can really hold it. Someone someone who can allow Ramsdale to go vertical. You notice he always goes out to the wings. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, yeah it's, there's definitely a... A uh, um, uh, sort of what's what's the word? If Burnley Mich- go down, if Burnley go down, go get big, big Voot, big Voot. Also, you just love Voot. I remember on I do. You used to you used to shout him out all the time. Was it even was it when we were doing the podcast? Yeah, I remember, all the I remember time. I, used, I love him. He used to score against me on FIFA, and every time I just send you a picture, going you fucking <laughs> you wanker. Uh, tell you who's a great commentator, Peter Drury. Uh, if you watch other sports, if you watch like tennis or snooker or whatever, they use so much more technical language than football. And I appreciate that in football, kind of there being it being a bit more about a narrative allows it to be a bit more accessible, which makes it the, the, the sport it is. I think it's a very very accessible sport and very easy to understand, and the narratives are so strong. But he was using a lot of technical, like you know, like changing the point, of the attack, you know, starting positions. He was noting the positional changes. He was really. I enjoy commentators who can kind of give you an insight into the game and use language, technical mm-hmm. language from the game um, rather than just like... Yeah, and you have your sort of more arty Martin Tyler type stuff who can say things in the moment that is like almost iconic things come out of his mouth all the time. But I, I, if you watch other sports, if you watch tennis, their kind of halftime analysis is like, he needs to spin his wrist on the backhand because his foot is twisting too many degrees to the left. Do you know what I mean? He like they're literally like mm. the 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 granular detail of the game is there, um, and it's good to hear that from from a from a commentator. So shout out, Peter Drury. Um, the away support is so good, by the way. Yeah, some of the best in the league. Some of the best in the league. Yeah, um, agreed. I think we've covered most of the rest of it I did enjoy Rob Holding saying yes Gabby well done eh for yeah oh, I loved it Martinelli I loved it. getting a throw in <laughs> which I love look you know look if it, it shows a togetherness and a sort of willingness to support each other I mean it was just a throw in but it was well done Gabby <laughs> hold on good yeah right on <laughs> um, we should also shout out Ramsdale's save from Roman Sice which was a good save
1: I think he, it was another save that he did. It was really nice. What a boy. What a boy. He claimed a couple of crosses. He knocked away a cross that could have led to a great opportunity. Yeah. He's back. The last thing, He's back. The
0: last thing I'll say on the, the refereeing thing, by the way, is did you notice that Lacazette did a body check on someone about two minutes after he sent off Martinelli? It was the exact same body check and he did nothing. And I know that is the marker of a referee who knows he's fucked it. Who knows he's... Because yeah. he's lenient with something. The exact same incident, lenient... It, well, I think it was worse, if anything, than the Martinelli one. He's lenient with it because he knows that he's overstepped the mark on that one. And that, that pisses mm-hmm. me off no end. So just... if This is the exact thing we're talking about with the inconsistencies because the Ruben Neves incident, the Martinelli incident, and the Lacazette incident can't exist on the same football pitch, let alone sport. Do you know what I mean? Like it's uh, it's frustrating. And look, it's, it's a very hard job being a referee. I think, you know, I, I always want to caveat that when we talk about refereeing. But there has to be some changes made. And it's, yeah, look, we... <laughs> we could fucking rant about that all day. Arsenal have won 35 of their 97 Premier League games in which they've had a player sent off. 36% more than any other side in the competition's history. Manchester United next. It's because we do
1: it so much, we're wins. used
0: to it. Yep. <laughs> when you do something enough, you get good at it. <laughs> Uh, Anything else on the game? Bramley Apples. No! We'll see you.
1: After this. News and fears. Welcome back to
0: News Welcome and back. Views, where we give you all the news and all your views, but mostly ours. Just a quick reminder that if you do enjoy these podcasts, please subscribe, turn on notifications and leave us a review. And please support us on Patreon, where you get access to ad-free versions, of the Patreon, main Patreon, pro- Patreon, podcast Patreon, Patreon, and Patreon, the preview Patreon, podcast, Patreon. when Brad remembers to do it, preview for podcasts. just £3 a month. And for <laughs> one time support, <laughs> head to buymeacoffee.com, where you can...
1: Buy me a coffee.
0: Anything you can give monthly or one off helps the podcast. The links are in the show description. <gasps> description, 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 description. You're great. Or is that hype man? No, not is that hype man? Yeah. Uh, I was just trying to Yo Great great podcast. <laughs> you guys are the bomb.
1: Who's our best hype man on Twitter? Do we think? Oh it's gotta
0: be Debs. It's got to be Debs. Debs loves it. I did have a lovely DM from... Hang on. Drumroll. I've had quite a few nice DMs, actually. U2B said, You guys are my favourite Arsenal pod out there. No cap. Oh. It was at 1.56am, so maybe he was similarly to you. Yeah. Thinking in about bed. us rather than me thinking about Ben White. In bed, thinking about Ben White and the different podcast. <laughs> I mean, aren't we all? Do you know what I mean? Uh, right. The Love Island Maldini. What a lad. You what? The, Love Island, oh, the Maldini, Love Island Maldini. What a lad. I like that. That's nice. Maybe we could... I was going to say... There's there's a there's a spin-off show in that. The Love Island Maldini podcast.
1: We just follow Ben White's movements. Yeah,
0: just... Oh, he... I think he's just left his house muscle has left his house going to training so uh, yeah just a 24 hour <laughs> live stream of Ben White's movements you could do that Brad
1: Fucking hell. I've always said you should do remember. streaming I think you'd be good at it uh, maybe maybe we'll see we'll see after this maybe next season if you, rem- if you
0: remember to do the preview podcast then uh, yeah. now that's harsh you've been busy you've been very busy <laughs>
1: maybe once i'm back from from the if that if the thing goes ahead maybe once i'm back from that we can get on some streaming there you go um
0: so news and views right <laughs> that's, that's that's the <laughs> section we're doing um the arteta comments are uh, the way i see myself in this relationship is this a solution not the problem interesting interesting comments not at all surprising no, but I mean, in the light of the the sort of man management situation, if that's chari- that that is two very different sides of a story, where mm-hmm. Abamyang is saying that the only issue was Arteta, and Arteta is saying he was felt as though he was the solution in this
1: situation. I mean, well, yeah, because I think Abamyang was the problem.
0: Yeah, I I don't know whether I'm like. Maybe I'm just spending too much time around you, Brad. But I'm starting to be like, I I am concerned about Arteta's man management. And I watched him talk to Lacazette last night, and Lacazette said it was a tactical thing in the in the post match. And I I don't want to go sniffing around issues if they're not there. But there was quite a confrontational side to him, which it can be good, and it's in the heat of a of a, of a sort of match. I'm also remember a sensitive, creative type who, if someone was like. If someone said boo to me, I'd go, I'd, I'd be like, oh, don't,
1: please be nice.
0: Um, so maybe I'm projecting here, but I don't know. I I just get a sense that there may be, we may not have seen the last of kind of issues with certain players. I think Arteta might be a bit of a prickly
1: character. It's something to keep an eye on. I think that, I don't know if it was you that said it before, but was it, it is true. A lot, of pl- a lot of players like, you know, I think of Thierry Henry's management, history. You think of if you go to other sports, you know, there's a reason Michael Jordan has never really made a successful basketball coach is a lot of their, their ethos and their mentality is about being the best. And they seem to be shocked when other people can't reach those heights.
0: Mm.
1: And that's in no way saying that Mikel Arteta was ever the best because I don't think he was, but he obviously has unbelievably high standards that sometimes if you cannot meet them, I can see them being a, being an issue. I think the Abamyang situation, it's very clear that Abameyang was the problem. I just think that what what we have seen too often is a willingness to, and I use this word frequently, jettison players from the playing squad when there's an issue with no real attempt to rehabilitation. Whatever we think of Gwenduzi, there is a perfectly there's a perfectly quite good central midfielder in there who would give us another option in that midfield if he could have been brought back onside and had his petulance stamped out of him by Arteta. I'm not saying that that's an option, but I didn't see much effort in in changing that. The same with this Aubameyang situation. We don't really ever know what's happened with Ozil. I, I think Abamyang has to be the last time because like we've said about the referees, if there are constantly problems revolving someone with lots of different people, there has to come a point where you look at the person who is the common denominator in those scenarios. Mm. I think he gets, clearance is the wrong word, but clearance for Aubameyang, because I think it's so obvious from his issues before that that he was the problem, his attitude was the problem, his consistent turning, turning up late, missing COVID tests, all of these things was a problem. And I think if you look at Duzi's behavior since going to Marseille, you know, kicking out in the tunnel, there was there was reports of problems when he was at Hertha Berlin. I think that there, there's there's obvious cause where that situation was the right thing to do was to get the player out of the squad. Because no matter how good somebody is, if they are going to ruin the entire morale of the camp or be a real issue in behind closed doors, it is better to get them out. And we don't know what really, we'll never really know what happened with Ozil. But I think from now on, if we keep seeing this, that's when it becomes an issue. And I think, you know, we have a a perfect opportunity coming up where we can see this, which is we've got William Saliba coming back in with two years left on his contract after being phenomenal in Marseille. How we handle that situation is going to be very telling of the squad's ability to manage players and the man management. Because Saliba is a perfect... Um, not third choice, but a perfect addition to that revolving centre-back line. Can cover left centre-back and right centre-back has an unbelievable skill set and is, for me, one of the most talented young centre-backs in the world right now. I've spent some time watching Marseille this season. He's unbelievable. Very raw still. And it was the right decision to loan him out. <gasps> In some aspects, in some aspects, it wasn't the right decision to loan him out and keep Rob holding if, you know, but well, it was the right decision for him to go get game time.
0: Would Saliba have done the job yesterday? Who knows?
1: Who knows? Probably not because his, he's, you know, his biggest, biggest deficiency is aerially. Well, not well, one of them, one of them, but what's coming up is a perfect opportunity to see and to really get a judge of how we can finesse these situations and manage these situations. And let's just see what happens come the summer, but we've got to be careful because what we don't want is players starting to look at Arsenal as if there could be a problem with coming to the club down the line, because that could turn a few players away from the idea of joining the project.
0: Yeah. And, and for as many for as many issues we hear about, there's three comments saying how great he is. So you know, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to poke the bear, but I do. I, I, think if I could have designed a character to come into Arsenal in December 2019, it would have been a very intense, tactically minded, astute person like like Arteta or someone who really knows their own mind. Like it, re- it really would have been that person. I just, I still see that same intensity and maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's what is, you know, and, and maybe there'll be people who say that's what we need still, you know, uh, sure. I just hope he can learn to manage all different types of personalities because there will be a Bamiangs um, and there will be, there will be Gwendouzis that, that may be exactly what we need, you know? So I, I just hope we're not, as you say, with the Saliba situation, it's a good example, good example because Saliba to me on paper Feels like the exact type of centre back that we that we need that can cover that sort of you know be the th- sort of the third man in that situation, even cover Tommy Asu's role. So how he handles that, if Saliba, you know, won't conform or whatever, or isn't you know doing exactly what Arteta wants, you know, will you jettison
1: William Saliba? You know, so and Saliba absolutely has the talent to take one of those two starting spots from White and Gabriel.
0: Yeah, well, well. Look, I think you know, sending him out on loan to Mar, otherwise sell him last summer. You know, like there was the interest there. So clearly, there's an interest in keeping him around at the club, um, or sell him this summer. That's do you know what I mean. If if we don't fancy him, that that's fine. But don't bring him in and then have pro- if we if we bring him in and then have problems. I'm I'm con- I'm slightly concerned. I just want to finish up with a quick discussion about Saka. There was uh, news this week from Sam Ockwell in the. Daily Mirror that Saka's contract negotiations may be dependent on Champions League qualification. I think it's understandable that Saka would <clears throat> want some kind of assurances around Europe because you know he's getting to that stage where you know twenty twenty one he's starting to think, you know, I want to be playing in the, the top competitions every single season, and that's that's absolutely fair enough. Um I liked your solution.
1: He's the second best right winger in the league for me, Saka. I think he's absolutely sensational. And I think that the only place he doesn't start, or maybe second best is too high, but I think the only place he doesn't guarantee starts across the season is Liverpool because they don't rotate a lot. I think he could go to a city, be part of that rotation plan. I think he could go to a lot of clubs that would be a step up when it comes to, you know, European competition and stature. My solution to this thing, if we're not getting Champions League football this season or whatever, would be you give him a contract where you're paying him very well, 100k a week, maybe even more, and you give him a release clause that only Champions League clubs can can activate. You do the Jack Grealish, you say to him, look, we want you to stay, we want you to give us a couple more years to, to really push forward this project Here's a bumper five-year deal that after 18 months, a 75 or an 80 million pound Champions League release clause becomes active. Because I think if you sell him this summer, that's the kind of fee you're going to demand. So you say to him, that's what we're going to demand for you this summer. Sign on to this new deal. There's a guarantee that we will have to accept the offer if it comes in. Maybe that convinces him to stay because I think he is an Arsenal fan. And if you say to him, look, you're giving us 18 months to two years to see if we can get this project to a level where it's Champions League level. And if it's not by that point, you can go to a club that's in the Champions League. Fine. You'll have a release clause. And, you know, that's a, a brilliant amount of money for, for our club to come in and and for us to, again, replace Saka and buy other players. Um. It'll it'll just depend as to whether he's he's willing to do that, as and willing to give up those two years because sometimes as you see in certain players, interest wanes. Luckily, he's got youth on his side and he's only growing. But to kind of pull an opposite situation, I don't see anybody coming in for Harry Kane with the same levels of money that they would have been last summer. He's another year older. His ankles, like even, brake pads are wearing thinner. Brake pads. <laughs> you know, it it it's not looking good for him. Whereas I think at least there's 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 ages on Saka's side and the fact that he is an Arsenal fan. Kane isn't a Tottenham fan, no matter how much he wants to tell you that.
0: Yeah, yeah I, um, I, th- I think the release clause is a good solution. I also think like, um, perhaps this is my kind of Arsenal fan. Oh, if I was a player, I'd do this. You have to look after yourself. I, I appreciate that. But I think if I'm Saka, a release clause does doesn't mean you can't leave if an offer comes in. You know, I, I, I would be yeah. saying, look, I want to look after this club, I want to protect this club. I want to be playing Champions League football within, say, the next two seasons. By by 2023, four, four I want to be playing Champions League football. That's fine. Yep, we, we can we can say that. Look, Arsenal may not be there, but you will be there. So let's do this. You sign a new deal as you say and structure it however you want, whether it's a release clause, whether it's a you know if a Champions League club comes in for you, we have to accept a bid over a certain point. However, you want to structure the deal, I think there is a way to to please all parties in a similar way as you as you pointed out to the to the Grealish deal. You know, Grealish put Aston Villa in a situation where they were able to sign 100 million pounds worth of talent, and you know, look, you can argue that they didn't spend it in the best way possible, but they've got, now got Jacob Ramsey coming through, you know, so. There, there is always there is always talent there is always a a next player Unless the, i'm, you I'm are never also, to, yeah. i'm never i'm never worried about replacing as such i think there will always be the next you know like the the, the production line never ends the amount of talented footballers in hayland in in just in london let alone the world and people you can pick up from it's who become your starting left, left wing, you know talent is not the issue talent is out there but what is the issue is, is us miss, mismanaging the situation and missing out on potentially hundreds of millions of pounds. So I think whatever we do, we've got to handle that carefully and go safety first and go, look, if if Saka just refuses to sign a new contract this summer, that's fine. Sell him. Sell him. Like, I love Saka. Absolutely love him. But we cannot continue to make the same mistakes we've made in the past. We can't.
1: Yeah, and it would be horrendously sad that £80 million pounds is more important To the club than letting him go down to a year on his contract, a a Bosman six months later, you know, and as much as I love him, you can sign somebody who can maybe not do the job to the same level, but do, do a similar kind of job for much less than 80 million pounds because they're not English. You know, a lot of his price tag will come from the fact that he is also homegrown in English. So. It would be really sad, but you said this about Joe Willock, and I think it's really true. Sometimes you have to kill your darlings. And to add to that, we're not Man City. We're not, well, not even Barcelona at that level, but we're not the Barcelona of old where they could poach Cesc Fabregas because they were the biggest and best club in the world. We're not that club. Sometimes you need to accept the money, no matter how much it hurts, so we can accelerate our own process quicker.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's I I can't agree more, and I think we've been in situations, you know, didn't we get fifty million pounds offered for Lacazette? Didn't we get, you know, how much we got offered for Maitland Niles and Chambers and all these all these people who went? Yeah, up for twenty Maitland.
1: million for Maitland Niles, fifteen million for Chambers. There's so much money that we've missed out on previously that's yeah. leaving in the summer for free. Yeah. We can't allow that to continue. Yeah. And
0: and 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 look, there are situations where you might have to turn that down, but I think nine times out of ten, when you're a well-run club. You should have a strategy for replacement of everyone. You, every every single player should be in some way expendable, replaceable. You know, or, or you know, if okay, sure, some you know whoever Real Madrid comes in for Gabriel, great, fantastic. We've got William Saliba coming in. We take that fifty, sixty million pounds or whatever they give for do for Gabriel. We go and invest in a player who's just as good. The next Gabriel. We bring in Saliba, we have a solution and we pocket the rest of the 30 million or whatever. Like We have to start thinking in that way and, ha- and not get so yeah. attached to players. I think it's a slightly uniquely Arsenal thing as well because I think we are a club that are very classy and I love that. And those are the values that, as I always say, are I like as a club. And that's why I support Arsenal. We're a classy club. We try and do the right by our players, sometimes to our own detriment. But I think you can do right by your players by having a well-run squad, by having, where everyone knows their role, everyone has a specific, you know, function, everyone is clear on what they're, they're there to do and there's a succession plan and when you have str- str- uh, strategy, strategy, long-term planning and, and a well-run club, I think that's achievable. So, um, yep. basically what I'm saying is sell Saka now. Uh, do it. Brad, we've just got time. For a little bit of Arsenal trivia. Last time out, I asked you, Petr because you're autocorrect, uh, decided on Petacek. Petacek, what year did Petr Cech retire? That was your question last time. Do you know
1: the answer, Brad? 2019? It was
0: 2019. Bramley oh, Apples. Oh,
1: because it was after
0: Baku. Unbelievable. And he got absolutely pillaged. Absolutely Baku'd. Uh... And the theme that you gave me was German Arsenal players. So the question for next week is: Name the four years in which Lucas Podolski played for Bayern Munich. Name the four years which Lucas Podolski played for Bayern Munich. That's your question for next week. And Bradley, can you have a theme
1: for next week, please. Uh, the theme for next week is going to be. I ask you this every time. uh,
0: Write-backs. Write-backs. lovely. Over Christmas, my mum got me The Little Book of Arsenal, which is uh, over 170 hotshot quotes. So I thought what we'd do, Brad, is we'd pick a quote and we'd uh, read it to close out the show every time. Okay. I've picked a random page. Olivier Giroud. In the Heroes of the Shirt section, I play to create history and enjoy myself and give pleasure to the fans. Thanks so much for listening to the Digital not Podcast. <laughs> I tell you what, we could use a Giroud. We could we could use a Giroud. Just don't. It's double, don't, just it's don't, double don't, in the don't, Milan don't. Derby.
1: He's underrated. He was underrated, I tell you. Uh, Do not, do not. We lived through 2015-16. End this podcast now with all this Giroux revisionism. It's a pleasure to be back, Brad. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, Oh, as per
0: usual. I hope you enjoyed. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, Brad, are you going to release a preview podcast soon or...? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There'll be one before Brent. Don't worry. Thanks, thanks, Brent. Uh, listen, pleasure as always. Thanks as always for listening. Keep it different, knock, and we will see you
1: later. Peace, peace.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and BuyMeACoffee.com, find us on Twitter at diffnock, and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks! podcast network.